last week's podcast, you know exactly what we mean by God's instructions. I'm Tim. And I'm Miss. You know that we're talking about the Torah, God's instructions. And if you didn't know, go back and listen to our podcast called, What is Torah? Last week, we talked about what Torah is, and wow, Torah covers a lot. There is so much packed in there. Like the rest of the Bible, you can read it over and over and get deeper insight with each reading. That is so true, Mama. The Torah is the foundation for understanding the rest of the Bible. Without the Torah, we don't have the right context to understand God's truth. We want to encourage our listeners to prayerfully read the Bible for what it says, not necessarily for what we were told that the Bible says or what we may want the Bible to say. And if we continue in his word, we are truly his disciples, and the truth that we know will make us free. John eight thirty one to 32. Today, we want to talk about some truth that we discovered by applying the Torah as context for two well-known New Testament stories. The first story is in John 8, verses 1 through 11. In this story, Jesus was teaching in the temple when some scribes and Pharisees came to him with a challenge. Mama, what do verses 3 through 5 say? They say, and I paraphrase, the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman caught in the very act of adultery to Jesus and said to him, the law of Moses commands us to stone this woman for what she did. But what do you say? Now, that's funny, because these scribes and Pharisees obviously didn't realize who they were talking to. I'm with you, miss. They were in way over their heads. Rather than to answer them, Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground, totally ignoring them. After they kept badgering Jesus for an answer, he gave them an answer, but they could not handle the truth. What was his answer to the scribes and Pharisees, miss? In John 8... Verse 7, Jesus said, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. I'm guessing the scribes and Pharisees were not expecting him to say that because they left one by one, starting with the oldest accuser until all the accusers were gone. Then Jesus asked the woman, Where are your accusers? Is there anyone left to condemn you? She answered, No, Lord. Jesus replied with, I don't condemn you either. Go and stop sinning. Now, many sermons I've heard that were based on this scripture suggest one or both of the following points. Point one, this story proves that Jesus abolished the harsh law of Moses and ushered in grace by not condemning this woman. Point two, people can only judge the innocence or guilt of others if they themselves are sinless which means basically nobody can judge anybody. When you apply the Torah as context, you can see that this story does not support either claim. Let's apply the Torah together and see this story in its biblical context. So, we have a woman allegedly caught in the act of adultery. What exactly is adultery and what does the Torah say about it? Well, Tim, adultery is sexual relations in which at least one participant is married to someone else. The Torah has two ways of dealing with adultery. Numbers 5, 11 through 31 outlines an elaborate process by which a husband who suspects his wife of adultery could learn the truth. 
It involved the couple going to a priest, the wife accepting the terms of the process, the wife drinking a water-based solution, and the husband giving an offering. If the woman was guilty, the woman's body would eventually show clear signs of guilt, a rotting thigh, and a swollen stomach. Her childbearing years would be over. Applying the Torah here makes me wonder, since the husband should be more offended than anyone else by this allegation, where is he? Why is he not present to charge or accuse his wife? The scripture doesn't explain the husband's absence, and his absence really is odd. When this water test was applied, God was the witness. His judgment indicated whether or not the woman was actually guilty. In the case of John chapter 8, the woman was allegedly caught in the act, so there were witnesses this time. What does the Torah say about adultery with witnesses? Well, Leviticus 20 verse 10 says that both the man and the woman involved in adultery must be put to death. So in John chapter 8 verse 5, the Pharisees accurately cited the Torah. Adultery was a capital offense. But where was the man involved in this adultery? Why wasn't he brought before Jesus along with the woman? Maybe he caught the first camel smoking out of town. I don't know, but his absence here is strange. He should also be facing these charges and under a death sentence. That's true. Also, Tim, Deuteronomy 17, 6-7 outlines the details regarding death by stoning. There must be two or more witnesses to the crime, which there seem to be. If the guilty people were to die from stoning, the witnesses must throw the first stones. Then everyone else must join in on the execution, all of the city in essence. So in John 8 and 7, Jesus said, The one among you without sin, let him throw the first stone. Not one person threw a stone at this woman. The Torah does not mention being sinless as a requirement for carrying out an execution. What sin was Jesus talking about? What sin would be enough to stop an execution? Maybe they were thinking about Deuteronomy 19, 16-21, which says that if a person is found to have testified falsely against someone, the lying witness would receive the punishment that the accused person was facing. In this case, the witnesses would be stoned if their story were later found to be false. Great point, Mama. Jesus knew that the Torah directed the witness to be the first to throw stones. Somehow, the sin lied with the witnesses. That's why Jesus talked about, quote, the first to throw a stone. Not charging the adulterous man was definitely a sin. Both parties were supposed to be stoned. The whole story may have been false. We don't know. But Jesus knew. This whole setup was a trap, and Jesus turned it back on the real lawbreakers, and he used Torah to do it. Mm -hmm. So, the reason the woman was not condemned was because Jesus perfectly applied the laws from the Torah. Jesus did not violate Torah by usurping the priest's responsibilities. He didn't even break Roman law because Roman authorities had to approve a death sentence. And Jesus did not excuse sin. He called the sin out. The sin of the witnesses, the scribes and Pharisees, by calling their bluff. And the sin of the woman. 
He told her to go and stop sinning. Here's why the Torah's context is vital. No one can use this story to justify an ongoing sinful lifestyle. The woman was not stoned because the law, when perfectly applied by Jesus, pointed out holes in the scribes and Pharisees' position. Also, the scriptures do not say that the accusers have to be sinless. The reason the accusers put their stones down had nothing at all to do with the fact that they were not perfect. The accusers did not throw stones at the woman because Jesus turned the focus from the woman to the legal problems in their accusation. Her accusers knew that, based on the law, they could not execute this woman. Jesus' answer told her accusers that Jesus also knew that, based on the law, they could not execute this woman. We don't get all the details in this story. Some details come from knowing the Torah. So let's not twist the scripture to say what we want it to say or force meaning where we don't know the details. Instead, let's learn what the scriptures are actually saying with context from the Torah. Amen. That's a great story and definitely a teaching moment for us all. It shows the importance of learning God's Torah and applying it properly. Mm -hmm. That's one reason why Jesus came. Uh, Let's go to our second example, found in Acts 15. In this scripture, some men from Judea were teaching new Gentile believers that they had to be circumcised to be saved. Paul and Barnabas strongly disagreed, so they took the question to the apostles in Judea for an answer. On the way to the meeting, they met up with a group of believing Pharisees who said that circumcision and keeping the law of Moses was necessary. As believers, these Pharisees understood that they were saved by grace through faith in Jesus, not by works of any kind. Also, the Pharisees, they continued to keep, as Pharisees, they continued to keep the Torah. The Bible says that there was a lot of debate on this issue. Peter recounted how the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, fell on the Gentiles just like it had fallen on the Jews earlier. Verse 9 says that God put no difference between the Jews and the Gentiles, purifying the Gentiles' hearts by faith. Paul and Barnabas spoke about the miracles done among the Gentiles. Then James proposed an answer to the question. His answer is often misquoted and, truthfully, rarely carried out to this day. Many believers use James's answer to justify not worrying about the burden of the Torah, quoting from verse 19. It is my judgment that we do not trouble and make it difficult for those who are turning to God among the Gentiles. First, let's be clear on the question being debated. What is the question, miss? The question is, do Gentiles have to be circumcised to be saved? Thanks, miss. We have to know the question before we get to the answer. Too many believers use this meeting to justify ignoring the Torah. So what answer did the apostles give us? The answer is no. Peter said that through the grace of Jesus, we, the Jews, shall be saved even as the Gentiles. Acts 15:11. James suggested that the apostles direct the Gentiles to, one, avoid idolatry, two, avoid sexual impurity or fornication, three, 
Avoid eating anything strangled or blood. Now note that if you strangle an animal to kill it, the blood is trapped in the animal. So you end up eating the blood if you eat that animal. Now James makes a subtle and often overlooked statement after these directives. He says in verse 21, because from ancient generations, Moses has been preached in every city and read aloud in synagogues every Sabbath. He's saying here that since Moses is being preached every Sabbath and has been for generations, the Gentiles should learn the rest of the Torah by going to the synagogues on the Sabbath. That way, they will not be overwhelmed with trying to learn the whole Torah at one time. Remember, the Jews had been taught the Torah from birth and were familiar with God's instructions. On the other hand, God's ways were new to the Gentiles. They had to unlearn a ton of idol worship practices, mm -hmm. which included fornication and eating blood, just to name a few. So the apostles put their directives in a letter and had the letter delivered to the Gentile believers. The Gentile believers were elated to receive this direction and encouragement from the original apostles. Now I'd like to ask our believing listeners a few questions. Since you've been walking with the Lord, have you been taught to avoid eating blood? Would you know idolatry if you saw it? I can tell you, it's much more than making a little statue to worship. Do you see sexual impurity tolerated among believers you fellowship with? Where do you go to hear Moses preached? When do you go there? Here's my main question. What would you do if you discovered that the way you live your life and some of your beliefs are not in line with God's instructions. Would you change, or would you take the blue pill? Only you can answer that question. Monty Judah is an excellent teacher of the Torah. Please watch his teaching, The Letter to the Gentiles, on YouTube. In his teaching, Monty Judah highlights a striking connection between Acts 15 and the Torah. He identifies Leviticus as the central book of the Torah and chapters 17, 18, and 19 as the heart of the Torah. Please read these three chapters of Leviticus. These chapters cover the Torah's instructions regarding the proper handling of blood and prohibitions on consuming blood, an exhaustive definition of fornication or sexual impurity, and warnings about idolatry. Mm -hmm. Does any of that sound familiar? Of course, these are the things that the apostles told Gentile believers to avoid. In the letter to the Gentiles, the apostles referred to these instructions as essential or necessary things. If the Torah is not valid for believers, why did the apostles instruct the Gentile believers to obey these essential Torah instructions? And again, why are these instructions not widely taught to new or seasoned believers today? Well, Dad, we're doing our part, and there is so much more to discuss and learn about together. That's the mission of Red Pill Torah, calling believers from man's institutions to God's instructions. Well, that's it for today's podcast. Please go back and read over the scriptures we shared. In our next podcast, we'll discuss what it means for believers to be grafted in. 
thanks for spending about 15 minutes with us at Red Pill Torah, where you can handle the truth. truth.